good Wednesday morning, and today we'll be talking with Dr. John Patrick about why people hate going to church. If you have liked these episodes in the past, please feel free to subscribe and or leave a comment. If you have a question for Dr. John, you can ask him in the links below, or you can go to www.johnpatrick.ca forward slash ask. And here we go. Well, good morning. Nice to see. Nice to be here. I hope I'm talking to someone in due course, um, other than Craig, although that's pleasurable. The title, Why Do People Hate Church? Uh, I gave a talk many years ago, an after-dinner talk, and people said something a little different. Uh, so I talked about the reasons. Doc- I was talking to a medical audience who have been my main audience throughout, and doctors in particular do hate going to church for a lot of their lives. Not in hate, I hate you, you know, the teenage thing, but, oh, have I got to do this? That kind of hate. Um, And the question is, why? That ought not to be the case. You can't imagine listening to Jesus, say, teaching the Sermon on the Mount and saying, do I have to listen to this? It's not thinkable. But but it's very thinkable going to church. Um, It used not to be like that. We have caved into the ways of the world, in my view, to too great an extent, and we need to recapture our own roots, and then it will change. So, why do doctors in particular not enjoy going to church usually? Uh, Why? Well, most weeks, and getting worse uh, under the current administrations, doctors have very bad days, very bad experiences at times. Uh, I mean, I woke up with a a recurrent dream, which is a sad one, of a little girl in whom I missed the diagnosis uh, 40 years ago. Um, I still remember. I always will remember Donna, but I mean, I I didn't do it on purpose, and God knew what he was doing, so one day I'll find out how it all fits together, which he promises it will. But when someone's life is in your hands and you don't get it as right as you should of course you're going to feel bad about it if you don't there's something wrong with you and when you don't care at all it's time to leave medicine but you would be rewarded nowadays by the bureaucrats for not caring and simply ticking their boxes rather than paying attention to the patient which doesn't fit in their boxes so they arrive at church on Sunday morning because they know it's good for the family, it's good for the kids, Sunday school helps, etc. They recognize that the whole idea is good. But when you arrive with after that kind of week, do you really want to sing happy clappy songs? Is that going to get you anywhere at that point? No, it's not. Uh, what you need is some kind of reassurance that you're on track. And so, the last thing you want is people jigging up and down at the front and pretending to be happy, without ever defining what they mean by happy. Uh, You could sort out what their real reasons for being there are in a very good way. If I was a pastor, I would do this. Since all that music nowadays is piped through electronic pipes, so to speak, we don't need to see them. They can be sitting at the back, or standing at the back, or in another room even. Uh, and presenting their music at the appropriate time. And then we could have the question of what visual stimuli do we need that makes sense? That's why 
for centuries a cross was there that's what hit your eye for the Catholics with their obsession with repeating the sacrifice it's a crucifix uh, I find that a little difficult because um, the march the, the, the Via Dolorosa uh, to the cross Jesus says to the weeping women don't weep for me weep for yourselves he was coming to the end this was a, as Paul puts it later he took captivity captive he took sin captive the, the road to the cross was physically painful but as Hebrews puts it he endured the cross because he could see the future it didn't matter it was completion and the vision that he saw took him all the way through as a human being and of course he also had uh, the privilege of being God and being in contact with God until that, the, the moment of pain was when he said my God my God why hast thou forsaken me an experience he'd never had in his life before as he plunged into the depths of sin so to speak now that's a much bigger story than most Sunday mornings isn't it and it's a story that requires you to bend the knee first of all for what has been done for you uh, and that's why uh, I ended up I came from a very Bible based church which would have looked down on any set prayers of any sort although that's a nonsense isn't it if you go to a, a church that prides itself on extempore prayers as Ash did uh, as a little boy I even had a, a cynical streak and I could close my eyes and simply listen to the words and you could put them through a transformer so the voice was taken away. I would know who was praying because they all have their own patterns and there are, we all do. And they're nowhere near as rich as great saints. So the opening of the Anglican communion service, O Lord unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our heart by the inspiration of your spirit there's not a wasted word there is there and everything is real and then the point being that by that spirit we learn how to love and live and work so we've lost that what's the word I want I mean I'm actually lacking the word but what I can do during this week I'm going to read to you a little bit. Uh, my copy, as you can see, is rather worn. Um, I need to get myself a new and better one, but I know where everything is in this one. What I'm reading from is uh, G.K. Chesterton's Orthodoxy, uh, which I think is absolutely brilliant. Uh, especially uh, my favourite chapter is uh, the third one, Flag of the World and it's from that chapter I'm reading. Chesterton has um, got you at this point to going along with him as a child even he he couldn't understand what was going on because he loved fairy tales and he actually begins the book by saying that uh, the Bible has fairy tale ethics. Uh, everything depends on the thread of obedience God when he gives the children of Israel the Ten Commandments doesn't tell them why except I'm telling you that's all you need 
this is what you must do and if you don't the thread will break and you'll go downhill culturally which happened again and again and then they repent and come back they're the only cultural group who get recurrent bites at this cherry that's their reward for being the model for the rest of the world that's a whole nother talk but Chesterton understood that as a child and he couldn't understand why the mystery of the world was, didn't show up enough and he was bothering about this uh, and then he says he he, he had the, an incredible experience of how real his insight was that it was deep down a mystery like conversion is a mystery I maintain that no one can give you an account of their conversion that applies to anyone else but them. Other people can see that it's real, hopefully, and if they seek, they find. Seek, and you shall find. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Knock, and the door will open. Uh, but it, it's, not this, it's different for everyone. Amazingly, God deals with us individually, and Chesterton understood this. And then he said, as he thought this through, and then followed an experience impossible to describe. It was as if I had been blundering about since my birth with two huge and unmanageable machines of different shapes and without apparent connection, the world and the Christian tradition. I found this hole in the world. The fact that one must somehow find a way of loving the world without trusting it somehow one must love the world without being worldly. I found this projecting feature of Christian theology like a sort of hard spike. The dogmatic insistence that God was personal and had made the world separate from himself. The spike of dogma fitted exactly into the hole in the world. It had been evidently made to go there and then the strange thing began to happen. When once these two parts of the two machines had, been, had come together, one after another all the other parts fitted and fell in with an eerie exactitude. I could hear bolt after bolt over all the machinery falling into place with a kind of click of relief. Having got one part right, all the other parts were repeating that rectitude as clock after clock strikes noon. Instinct after instinct was answered by doctrine after doctrine, or to vary the mat metaphor, I was like one who had advanced into a hostile country to take one high fortress, and when that fort had fallen, the whole country surrendered and turned solid behind me. The whole land was lit up, as it were, back to the first fields of childhood. All those blind fancies of boyhood which in the fourth chapter I have tried in vain to trace on the darkness, became suddenly transparent and sane. I was right when I felt that roses were red by some sort of choice. It was a divine choice. I was right when I felt that I would almost rather say that grass was the wrong colour than that say it must by necessity have been that colour. It might verily have been any other. My sense that happiness hung on the crazy thread of conditions did mean something when all was said. It meant that the whole doctrine of the fall, even those dim and shapeless monsters of notions which I had not been able to describe, much less defend, stepped quietly into their place like colossal caryatids of the creed. 
the fancy that the cosmos was not one vast and void, but small and easy, cosy, had a fulfilled significance now, for anything that is a work of art must be small in the sight of the artist. To God, the stars might be only small and clear and dear like diamonds, and my haunting instinct that somehow good was not merely a tool to be used, but a relic to be guarded, like the goods from Crusoe's ship. Even that had been a wild whisper of something originally wise, for according to Christianity, we were indeed the survivors of a wreck, the crew of a golden ship that had gone down before the beginning of the world. But the important matter was this, that it entirely reversed the reason for optimism, and the instant the reversal was made, it felt like the abrupt ease from a bone uh, when a bone is put back in its socket. I had often thought of myself as an optimist to avoid the too evident blasphemy of pessimism, but all the optimism of the age had been false and disheartening for this reason, that it had always been trying to prove that we fit into the world. The Christian optimism is based on the fact that we do not fit into the world. I had tried to be happy by telling myself that man is an animal, and like any other animal, which uh, sought its meat from God, but now I was really happy, for I had learnt that man is a monstrosity. I had been right in feeling all things as odd, for I myself was one of the worse and better than all things. The optimist's pleasure was prosaic, for it dwelt on the naturalness of everything. The Christian pleasure was poetic, for it dealt on the unnaturalness of everything in the light of the supernatural. The modern philosopher had told me again and again that I was in the right place and I still felt depressed even in acquiescence. But I had heard that now that I was in the wrong place and my soul sang for joy like a bird in spring. The knowledge found out and illuminated forgotten chambers in the dark house of infantry. I knew now why grass had always seemed to me as queer as the green beard of a giant, and I knew why I could feel homesick at home. Uh, it's a brilliant passage. The survivors of a colossal wreck, uh, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, that was the colossal wreck, the fall. Uh, but our universities don't believe in moral goods, so they've lost the foundations to get started. The only place to get started is in the church. I said, I think, in a previous episode that I'm currently working my way through a a five lecture series to be given in the in the fall uh, for a CMDA conference uh, and basically uh, more and more as I work on it I'm feeling this is this is where I have to go that the world is going bad there's no, no every everybody recognizes we're in trouble in one way or another but what they don't understand is the nature of the trouble all these things that I was asked to talk about at the conference which I will are actually all related to getting the first steps wrong in transgenderism. I mean, it, it, it's horrible for all sorts of very good reasons, which we won't discuss at this point. Um, black Lives Matter inevitably is turning into black racism, uh, as black scholars are pointing out. And you can go on, critical race theory is simply the usual problem of getting a good thing in a wrong place. Lewis said, of heresy many many years ago 
that most heresy is a good thing in a wrong place. In the Muslim heresy is that they put tolerance above, they put lo- loyalty above truth. Uh, Jesus doesn't say I am the loyalty he says I am the truth that tells you immediately loyalty is not bad but it must be under truth but now you're required to be loyal in university to the the dogma of the arts faculty even though you know it to be a lie and if you say that you're going to get cancelled I don't because they can't cancel me what can they do? nothing um that may change. I mean, how long will it be before saying certain... Well, it's already true that if you say certain things in a certain way, they can label it hate speech and you can be in court. That's why I spend my time framing questions. So, we know that the world is going wrong. And we know what Jesus had to say about it. He told us how to change. That's what the Beatitudes are a character forming process I've only talked about one very briefly at the moment which is of course the colossal wreck you are poor in spirit when you realize that you are a monstrosity because you're not what God intended you to be but in setting up the world and setting it free he took the risk that we would make the wrong choices but that was the only way to get him to get us into relationship with him that was based on love not on natural fear the angels see God in a way that we don't and therefore there is no way that they can do other than obey they would not think otherwise if they do they leave heaven which is what Satan did Um, but that's not our project ours is a love story and because God wants us to love him naturally he cannot do it by power the world is not about power the ultimate world they've got fundamentally wrong when they say everything is a power relation no it isn't the most important thing in the world is not a power relation the relationship between you and God is a love story and so the question we all have to ask ourselves and I hope everybody's like me almost every day uh, I say oh that could have been otherwise but this is beautiful thank you um the flowers left on the doorstep, so to speak. And they don't force you to go anywhere. But as Chesterton describes, even as a child, he had those childlike intuitions about what it ought to be like, and then eventually he found his way. So uh, Jesus, when he starts his ministry, starts with that major insight that we are a monstrosity deformed by evil, mm. but we're meant to be beautiful and then he goes through what you have to do regularly but then he tells you what that's going to do and he says you are the salt of the earth that's the first consequence of of the Christian character training program is that you become salty now we miss the power of that metaphor because he was talking about rock salt in the ancient world they didn't have sodium chloride with a desiccant which is what we have uh, so that it comes out of a salt shaker in a nice smooth line and you can get what you want and it doesn't stick uh, that didn't exist that's a modern thing sodium chloride existed but it's very it, it gets any water that's going around and gets it into a lump it's not easy to use in the way that our salt is but it was also 
not easy to find. There are only a few major salt deposits that we know of in the world. Um, salt mines, there aren't many of them. So salt was so important that you could be paid in salt. And in fact, every time you collect your salary, you should rem be reminded of this because salary derives from the Latin word for salt, salar. It's telling you something. You were paid in salt. Your salary is salt money. Um, but then he goes on and says, but if the salt loses its taste, it's good for nothing. But he's thrown out and trodden underfoot of men. Now, to us that doesn't make sense because we're thinking of pure salt. But rock salt, it makes perfect sense. What was its main use in the ancient world? Well, it was to preserve food through the winter. So uh, fish come in lakes at various times and you have to preserve them to feed you during the winter when you won't be, you won't be catching the same amount of fish and the same with meat and other things. So that one of the housewife's regular job was to go to the market and buy a sack of salt to put it in a container and layer salt and fish, salt and fish, or meat or whatever you're preserving. Um, now, what she was buying, only a small percentage of it is really salt. The rest is, you know, the dirt of the world, the salts of the world, mainly aluminum, of course, um, and other things. So, the businessman selling this salt would make sure the top of the sack was very salty. He didn't care so much about further down. A smart woman would push her hand into it and taste it to see it was salty. Um, and then off she'd go with her sack of salt. Now, imagine that before she'd bought that sack one day, it was standing on the outside of the, the, the shop, and there was a a downpour for a few minutes and there was inch or so of water running around so the bottom of the sack got wet what would happen? well the wet part of the sack the sodium chloride is very waterable, water soluble would be washed clean of salt so when it dried out the sack looked the same but it had lost its function in the bottom part if you want a, a picture of what is wrong with people who say image is everything no it's not that's a modern fallacy image is just the dressing you want to know what the reality is uh, bureaucrats have to go for the dressing that's why they're so dangerous when they start to run policy instead of be what they used to be which was civil servants so she probably taste the salt for the first layer or two and but then nobody goes on tasting salt it's a good good pack she'd say and, and then she'd finish it and then a few weeks later there'd be a nasty smell did she blame the meat and fish or the salt that's a no-brainer obviously she blamed the salt see what Jesus is saying to us when you become my disciple what I expect you to do is change the world for the better by getting to know me better and being obedient to my guidance. But if you don't use the means of grace appropriately, if there isn't a space in your life for the scriptures, for prayer, for confession, for worship, for community, you're going to become an unsalty Christian. And note, they are the most unhappy people in the world. 
because if you're not a Christian and you go out in the towns for a night of debauchery, you don't want a Christian along. So you're excluded from that group. But if you are not salty and you go and meet with Christians who are, then you start feeling guilty so you don't enjoy that either. It's hard to find where you should be, especially when confession is not part of your worship process. So that's where I want to start. It's probably, I mean, that's nearly half an hour, I think, which is too long. Um, I don't know if you have any questions in lieu of there being a live audience, so to speak. I think my question is, is that something I've thought about? Um, if we bring it back to the beginning, why men maybe in particular don't enjoy going to church or find it easy to check out a church? Is there anything that you would recommend for that? Like say that is their plight, what to do about it? good I, I'm glad to have your practicality around yes there is um, when I, I started thinking about this uh, and talking a little bit about it years ago one guy who I met at a conference later he said after listening to you I started looking to see whether you were right and so I didn't go straight into church I hung around in the entrance area watching behavior and he said I saw guys who drove their wife and kids right up to the door and said, you go in to Sunday school, uh, I'll park the car, see you in church. Uh, but he didn't. He went off to Starbucks and came back just in time to be in church when they came back from Sunday school. And he said, there were a few of them. So... I'd said the one way forward is to start reading together in community where you're searching together and so we started reading together and uh, he said they loved it um, and they did it during church and they came back when the happy clappy bit was finished and uh, they'd had some serious content and prayer of course often and that prayer would of course often be about repentance so that's what what one needs to do um, you've got to find a way of finding people and they're there Jordan Peterson again look at the number of people who have been they come up to him everywhere he goes and thank him for a book which is basically unnecessary for anybody who's been brought up in a Christian environment because the 12 rules for life are basically if you've grown up with a really biblical background you don't need that you know those things and it's that world that we all knew that matters so much and that the multiculturalists don't understand uh, again you know looking around the world I, I was struck by the fact that science didn't happen anywhere except Western Europe diseases have often cultural bases and we don't talk about them sufficiently. And I, I mean, I thought about it for years before I started to realize what I needed to do. And I, I, did, I had to be bullied into that. And the starting point, I think, was really Jamaica, where I lived for seven years. And I was... We were not active as Christians, really, in the way that we should have been in our family. Um, but I knew that church mattered so 
we went to church and it, it happened the network from the church I grew up in was so good around the world that two days after we arrived in uh, Jamaica my mother had contacted someone in Jamaica and they drove up to our house and were hospitable and helpful and invited us to church and we went and that became a church uh, I still go back there once a year to, to teach uh, till COVID stopped it uh, hopefully it'll start again this year um, and what I noticed there, I, I didn't take much part in, in the church, but I noticed that students from the university, which was close by, who came <coughs> from small islands, same church, same sort of upbringing as I had, were in trouble. They, they were struggling. And I invited them home to lunch without really asking my wife, which I should have done. She would have done it anyway, but I mean, we had four small children. She was on the edge of exhaustion all the while. Uh, but I'd sit on the porch on Sunday afternoon after she'd fed us all, and we'd talk. And what, had ha what was happening to them? They came from good Bible-based churches, except that they were selective. Bible-based churches without a, a lectionary miss out huge chunks of the Bible. I bet you've never heard Deuteronomy preached on, for instance, our Lord's favorite book. Um, and they get off the plane at Kingston, they have a 20 minute taxi ride to the university. And on the right hand side, there's a, a mountain with palatial homes on it. The foundations cost 100,000 in some cases. On the left hand side, there's a gully which floods every wet season, with shacks along the edge, uh, with too many people living in the shacks. And they were good kids, so they they could see there's something wrong with a society that works this way but no they'd never had any sermons that dealt with that uh, they arrived at the university and this was 1970s Castro was in his heyday and Che Guevara uh, was a hero as he still is because nobody reads the biography which would soon kill the any any idea that Che Guevara was anything other than rather manipulative narcissist um, but they had an answer revolution and Marxism the students were buying into it hand over fist and they had no idea how to deal with it so I, I knew about that I'd been left-wing when I was a student but uh, my grandfather was a Marxist trade union leader uh, but I'd had the good fortune to be well taught biblically and I went to Martin Lloyd-Jones in London and um, I know the moment of change for me uh, my passion was actually rock climbing I played truant from medical school a great deal to go rock climbing um, I never set a fracture in my life I managed to avoid doing that uh, I went climbing instead uh, I didn't want to be a carpenter even with bones you know so I wasn't going to do orthopedic surgery I could learn enough to pass the exam in an hour or two with the textbook. Um, so uh, we went climbing in the Carpathians uh, the first time they were available to climbers from the west because it was in Czechoslovakia as it was then and uh, a range of mountains that I knew we knew had good climbing but we couldn't get there and then we were allowed to go so we went and we were supposed to stay at communist youth camps but we took one look and 
decided we could avoid that and uh, went up in the mountains, slept in the heather. Uh, but there were mountain huts there, and we went there, and there were students from all over the communist block. And one of them was um, <laughs> talking about going to Paris. He was a photographer, and the Hungarian government had sent him to Paris. They could send him because he had wife and family, and it was a stable family, so they knew he'd come back. And he had to go and get pictures to use for propaganda purposes. So the other students asked him about Paris, and he described how the poor had their faces ground into the dust, into the dust by the capitalist pigs. You know, um, we listened. The next day, we went climbing with these these young people, uh, students like ourselves, and we we split up so that we could talk. And I ended up climbing with this Hungarian. Oh, we were halfway up Lomnice, I think it was the face and. Uh, we got to the, the hardest section uh, and we were sitting on a ledge just below the hardest section of the climb and the Hungarian was smoking and looking out a beautiful view and he turned to me and he said you didn't believe a word of what I said last night did you? I said no it was a lie um, he said but you don't understand I said what don't I understand you, you didn't describe the Paris I know sure uh, there's inequality everywhere but the faces of the poor are not being driven into the dust um, and he said, yes, but I had no means of knowing whether there was an agent provocateur amongst those students. I nearly fell off the cliff. You mean even students can't talk freely? He said, oh, no, no way. And parents can't talk freely in front of their children either. And I was introduced to the real state of the Soviet Union, which obviously was not going to survive in the long run because of it. But my attraction to Marxism died at that moment because Marxism is based on the failure to believe that we're the survivors of a colossal wreck called the fall. You start from a wrong premise, you will never get to a good answer. So we've got to teach spiritual history, we don't. You want a starting book? Start with F.F. Bruce's The Spreading Flame beautifully written and it's the first few centuries of the church and it's beautifully done if you don't want to read that much uh, there's a, a single paper in first things about 2005 somewhere like that by David Bentley Hart who's lost his way a bit now but he was a, a brilliant uh, theologian historian and it's called Christ and Nothing and he does a wonderful description of the way martyrdom came about and what its role was in the church with no army the Christians beat the Roman Empire without the Roman Empire knew, knowing that they were really the problem for a long while and then Constantine converted and it was all over at the political level for a while but we, we don't know our own history and when we lose our history were like the Egyptians who forgot that Joseph preserved them from a famine and he was a Jew and the Jews lost their position in society because of that they became slaves so if we don't tell our story in the way that confronts the modern society um, then we will become slaves that's what happens we're well on the way but it's not irreversible
Thank you, John, and thank you guys all for listening. Again, if you're listening and enjoying this, feel free to leave a review. Or if you have questions for John, you can click on the links in the description down below, or you can visit www.johnpatrick.ca forward slash ask. Thanks.